Welcome to episode number 29 of the Marine Layer podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, we'll have on Justin Toscano of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, a fellow graduate of Arizona State University. He covers the Braves for the AJC, their beat writer every day. He's around them. He gives a great breakdown of the upcoming series this weekend. And hey, we're able to share a few memories uh, down in the desert as well. We have our three Mariners storylines of the week. And for the first time ever, we have a voicemail segment on this podcast. Yes, we now have a voicemail line. We get to hear a few of your thoughts here on this upcoming episode. We'll get into a little bit more of that detail of how you can get in on that when we get to that segment. We'll take a look down on the farm to look at our standout prospect of the week in the Mariners minor league system. We have another Russell Wilson umpire of the week. And we close out the show with Speak Your Mind. Before we start the show, quick little word from our sponsors, In The Clutch Clothing. In The Clutch Clothing Company is an official partner of the Marine Layer Podcast. In The Clutch is the ultimate fan site for Seattle baseball merchandise, including the Celebration Trident, official MLBPA shirts for J-Rod, Jared Kelnick, Cal Raleigh, and Los Bomberos. I've got my Jared Kelnick shirt coming in the mail. TJ has his Los Bomberos shirt in the mail. These shirts are awesome. We can't wait to get them. We can't wait to wear them around. I can't wait to wear them around at the ballpark. It's going to be great. So... Use the code MarineLayerPod at InTheClutch.com for 10% off. And currently, every shirt on their website ships within the U.S. for free. All right, let's get it rolling. And we welcome you onto this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast recording here on a Monday, May 15th. Lyle, did you remember what to do on a weekend that you didn't spend at the ballpark? Spend it at the ballpark. Where? Else? Oh, yes, yes. Different ballpark. Different ballpark. I had a, had a bit of a mental lapse, but you did have some fun going down to Tacoma this weekend and seeing some of the all-time greats down there like Mike Ford. Are they? Is his statue ready yet? I think they have to start building it. I mean, th- he hit a bomb on Friday when I was there. Crowd goes nuts. I mean, it was it, it was a no doubter too, but yeah. So our buddy Jeremy, like we've talked about, works in the Mariners organization. He's with Tacoma this season, and this weekend schedules worked out. I had a chance to go hang out with him for the weekend, stay with him, and while we were at it, went to catch a couple of the Rainiers games. So what do I do when the Mariners are on the road? Well, I still go to more Mariners affiliated baseball, so I, I can't get enough of it. Well, I'm glad you kept me in check there. I actually thought. You had you had the potential to have a life, just just potentially, but but I guess you managed to find just another baseball niche to to go find. Now you might say the Mariners are on the road again this weekend, Lyle. I'm sure this weekend you're going to find some other things to do. Socialize? Are you going to go socialize? Well, go hang out Aquas- with some friends. The Aqua Sox are in town. Oh, I I think in all seriousness, I am going to go down to see the Aqua Sox and Everett this weekend, but that's only one day, and that's a 25 minute drive. So that'd just be a day thing. Yes, I will plan to socialize this week, but I will still try to get some content in here for the pod. That's good. We like a healthy work life balance. We do love a healthy work life balance. We, me and you have been to that. Have you been to that park since we last went? We, when we went for the first time? I'm trying to think if I have it. Might be, it might have been since, yeah, our summer after our freshman year when we were interns with a, local college baseball team broadcasting games and there was a couple games at at Funko Field. I think that was the last time I was there. 
I think so too. The only thing I remember about Everett, if you're a native of Everett and you listen to this podcast, please uh, reply reply to our episode and tell us what else there is in Everett. The only thing I remember about Everett going there just a handful of times is the Dutch Bros. I think that's it. Dutch Bro- Dutch Bros and Everett Memorial Stadium. That's pretty much it. That's all I got, but that might be all I need this weekend. Go get a chocolate milk, which by the way, yes, Dutch Bros is a coffee place, but their chocolate milks are absolutely insane. If you haven't tried them, you legitimately have to try them. I had so many of them our freshman year of school because there was a bunch of Dutch Bros in, in Arizona, and I just couldn't stop ordering those 3 $4 chocolate milks. They were unreal, and now that I'm going to be at Everett, I might have to stop over. That's just so funny, though, thinking back to our time at, at, at Everett Memorial. Remember the opposing coach yelling at us in the press box, wondering what we were doing up there. And then we we were sharing the a same room with the PA announcer. He's like, hey, guys, like between innings, could you just not talk? Because I have to listen to you guys talk during the innings. So like when the innings concluded, just don't talk. And we're like uh, uh, 19 year old us. We're like, uh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> of course. I don't think there was a lot of broadcast interns in that league. And I say, I think, no, I know we were the only team with broadcasters in that league because people didn't seem very prone to having other broadcasters around. They didn't even seem to like know what in the world was going on. No. And there, and I think that also led to some very interesting setups that we'd have because, well, no one would know that we were coming, but good times. We could probably start a podcast about our time in the Pacific international league because there's definitely some stories, but uh, regardless, we can save those for another time. Let's get to our three Mariners storylines of the week. Okay, uh, first up, Lyle. More of a general observation now that we're about a month and a half into the Major League Baseball season. We have a bit, we have a decent sample size on this Mariners bullpen, and it seems again, while maybe this group could regress a little bit over the course of the season and might not be the best bullpen in baseball. Right now, they're pitching like probably the best bullpen in baseball with half of it being completely new guys. Jerry did it again with this Mariners bullpen. Can I throw a lukewarm takeout here? Go for it. I'm looking up and down this bullpen. Of the three years that the Mariners have had elite bullpens, I legitimately think this has a chance to be the best one. From how it started and now how it's going here in mid-May, I think this can be the best one. This bullpen currently is the best in baseball by F-War, they're first. FIP, they're first. XFIP, they're first. They've given up the least amount of home runs of any bullpen in baseball. They're giving up less than half a home run per nine innings. So their home run per nine rate, 0.46. These guys are dominating. Like every single one of these guys is dominating. There is no weak spot in this bullpen right now. Oh, and by the way, they are A, missing their best reliever, a guy we tabbed as a top five reliever in baseball. Andres Munoz has pitched all of three innings this year. And second, they're essentially pitching a man short every night because Chris Flexen still occupies a spot on the 26-man roster as an emergency starter, and he sits in the bullpen instead. So think about that. They are down their best reliever, and they're down essentially a bullpen roster spot and still manage... To, to produce at these kinds of levels, which we've now been so accustomed to seeing, but it's just the, the faces change. The results don't year to year. In 2021, the big three were Casey Sadler, Paul Seawall, Drew Steckenrider. 2022, the big three, Andres Munoz, Matt Brash, Paul Seawall. 
Seawald's been a key cog again. I mean, he's been the most consistent guy through all of this. And the fact he's doing it three years in a row is pretty incredible. But just take a look at some of these guys. I mean, Justin Topa, in a small trade with the Brewers, he gives up no hard contact. Nobody's getting hits off him. He doesn't even need a high strikeout rate. He's got a 106 ERA. What a dog. Gabe Spire, dog. He was a, he was a waiver claim by the Mariners. Or they picked him up after Kansas City let him go. Gabe Spire is in the 100th percentile in baseball in chase rate. Everybody goes after that guy's offerings and swings at him. His walk rate's under 4%. Deceptive lefty, 184 ERA. Absolute dog. Trevor Gott, hitters aren't picking up extra base hits against him. Cutter's nasty. 98th percentile in barrel rate. Absolute dog. All these guys were totally new faces, picked up off the street by DePoto, and now they're dominating. It, it is ridiculous how good Jerry is at evaluating these arms. And Saucedo's been pretty decent as well, stepping in in a replacement role for for guys who have been injured and who have sent down. I mean, here's just some guys who have who are not on the on the roster right now who are on the roster to begin the season in that bullpen. Penn Murphy is on the injured list. Matt Festa and Diego Castillo are in Tacoma. My question is how I don't see how those guys reclaim spots on this roster with this this current group of guys. When we saw Festa go down, we were pretty certain, okay, he's coming back up at some point because he's still got pretty good stuff and they just want him to throw more strikes. Who are you taking off the roster now if you're keeping Chris Flexen? That's another conversation in itself. So first off, to your point, you're right. I don't know how Festa or Castillo get back up at this point. And I don't know how much longer Flexen's going to be keeping a spot because keep this in mind, this group's been so good, right? Well, when Munoz gets back, Obviously, he's getting a spot on the roster. Somebody's got to go. When Penn Murphy gets back, who, by the way, with a sub-2 ERA, Savant Page looks pretty good, was incredible before he got hurt. He's getting his spot back when he's healthy. And they keep talking about Prelander Barroa's not far away. I mean, and that is going to be a weapon in itself when he gets up. We saw it in spring training. There are not a lot of rooms, not a lot of room for guys to get their spots back. And there's not going to be a lot of room for flexing all of a sudden when everybody gets back healthy and is ready. Baroa pushed to the bullpen just this week. I mean, they had him start to start this season, but as soon as the guy shifts to the bullpen, we saw this. I mean, it just feels like deja vu with Edwin Diaz. The dude gets flipped to a bullpen role and he's in the big leagues within two months. Or I think it was actually less than that with Edwin. Was it less? It was pretty short. It was, yeah, it was, it was pretty short. They realized, oh, well, he's throwing 102 miles an hour. Yeah, he's, he's on this roster. And yeah, Prolander in his outings out of the bullpen, uh, he's up to 99 with a devastating slider. I, that is, it's right out of the Mariners bullpen book. So it, it, he's got to, like, he's going to get an opportunity this year. They're really running out of roster spots to get guys looks on the mound because it doesn't really seem to matter where, like, if it's in the rotation or if it's in the bullpen, it, just, it, whatever, Guys, they have really gotten their hands on to mold pitching wise. It has worked out. And overall, as a whole, Mariners far and away lead baseball in, in pitching war. But the bullpen is it's such an important part to this because it's a group that keeps cycling through year after year. But the results get better and better and better with, with different formulas and, and different guys and different angles. But the results are still magnificent. To do what they've done three years in a row is ridiculous. Everybody always talks about bullpens are fickle. They change from year to year. 
guys have trouble staying consistent from year to year. That might all be true. Jerry Depoto's defied all of that because the Mariners just continue to roll out absolutely lethal bullpens. Okay, second storyline here, TJ. Julio moved out of the leadoff spot. So this happened now a few days ago. He's been scuffling like we talked about on the last show. The Mariners are now trying to take some pressure off of him. So they moved him down in the order out of the number one spot. We've seen him hit six. We've seen him hit third. He's been mixed around a little bit. And you know what? It seems like so far it's doing its purpose because he is starting to slowly get his feel back at the plate. They've been scoring some runs with him in that spot. It's it's too small of a sample size to say that's really the cause. But to be honest, I'm a bigger fan of this current iteration of the lineup with JP leading off, with Ty hitting second, and then some combination of Julio and Jared at three or four. I think that is their most productive lineup they can put out right now. We're going to talk about JP Crawford with our next storyline. But I think he deserves to lead off based off what he's done this season, hitting the ball hard and walking at a good rate. And Ty France going to keep his two spot. Well, then you put your two mashers at the three and the four spot. And you got like, they're not only mashers, they're speed. They're going to spray the ball around the yard. I mean, they keep, they, at their peak, they will make this lineup longer being in those spots, I think, than they were in their previous spots. Right now, I'm a fan of it. And you're right. We'll save the J.P. Crawford talk for a couple minutes from here. But from what he's doing right now, yeah, he's a perfectly fine leadoff hitter. Now, I can't just sit here and forget about 2022, which consisted of 28 home runs, 146 OPS plus, the fact he was one of the best players in baseball after the month of April. Like, Let's not act like hitting Julio in the leadoff spot is all of a sudden a dead spot. I mean, I understand why they wanted to move him out for now. They also seem like they want to move him back to the one spot eventually. Right now, I think this is the best lineup you can roll out there. Moving forward, I don't know. I think they it, might go back to it. In an ideal world, you hit Julio second, I think. I don't, oh, in, I, in I a perfect want, I world, want him to have the opportunity to, to drive in some runs. I mean, that's why I'm, 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 I'm a fan of him hitting third. I think it helps. In a perfect world... I think once they feel like he's ready for it, Jared could hit leadoff and then Julio hits two and you fill out the rest of the lineup from there. I mean, don't forget they had Jared leading off when he debuted and when he was a rookie that first month or so for a while, because it's that same idea for why they put Julio there, why Acuna leads off a lot for the Braves, why George Springer used to lead off a lot for the Astros. That Ichiro type of leadoff hitter, I mean, it's working right now with JP, but you don't see that as much anymore. You'll see guys with pop hit toward the top of the lineup. So if you have Jared and Julio eventually at one and two, I mean, I'm indifferent to how they mix and match them in those two spots, but I think that's the ideal scenario moving forward. And then hopefully with Ty hitting, hopefully Teoscar keeps this going because he's had a good few days. If Gino starts to find his power stroke again, then the rest of that lineup fills out. Cal, of course, and you can, you can make it work with Jared and Julio at one, two, if everybody else is clicking. The way I'm thinking about it, if J.P. Crawford can hit 250 and continue to walk 15 to 17% of the time, which he might not do all season, in which case you adjust, but if he continues doing that, he's he should he should be leading off. I mean, he's he's arguably the best on the team right now at getting on base, something this lineup does not have. 
It doesn't. They they don't have guys who just purely get on base. It's been it's been pretty middling. And I think that's been the biggest frustration with all the strikeouts is that guys haven't been getting on base and JP's that guy who gives you the opportunity to do so because he's walking so much. So that's why I think he should get a, his opportunity to stay in the leadoff until he either hits his way out of it by stinking or best case scenario he keeps this up all season. I can buy into that. I guess I always just like the idea of JP continuing to hit like this, but also still be in the nine spot to essentially flip the lineup over and do what they had him in the nine spot originally to do, which was to be that second leadoff guy, which is what a perfect nine hitter does. Now, if the Mariners keep winning with this formula of a lineup, I'm not going to stand here and say to change it. Keep rolling with it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I will be interested to see what it looks like in July when we assume Julio is going to be back to his normal form by then. Let's get to our third storyline of the week and highlight the man we've talked about a little bit here in our second storyline. It's time, Lyle, to give J.P. Crawford his flowers. We're still in a bit of a small sample size. Remember, he got off to a hot start this year. But there's some real differences in how J.P.'s batted ball profile and his approach at the plate has changed this year opposed to his past years with the Mariners. The Mariners' current leader in war. It's not Jared Kelnick. It's not George Kirby. It's not Luis Castillo. It's J.P. Crawford. By baseball reference, it is J.P. Crawford. 1.4 war. Here as we sit on May the 15th. He's been great. 116 WRC plus entering today's game. This being a Monday. He's walking a bunch. He doesn't strike out as he always does. His defense has gotten better. I mean, everything looks much better. Here are his percentile rankings by year. Uh, in reverse, I guess, reverse chronological audio. So we're going to start back going forward uh, of some past seasons. Loudest. Let's pick this season. Where is this season out? Where Where is it? Uh, third percentile average exit velocity, ninth, eighth, third, and 63rd is where he currently sits this year. He is above average in terms of average exit velocity off his bat. He's been hitting fastballs really well. Uh, he has a 444 weighted on base average against fastballs. Uh, he's walking nearly 18% of the time, sandwiched right between two guys who you might think have a pretty good eye, uh, Max Muncy and Adley Rutschman. Pretty good, right? Pretty uh, pretty productive there. He is having um, the high, highest marks of his career in expected weighted on-base average, so quality of contact, weighted on-base average, average exit velocity, hard hit rate, walk rate. And hey, his defense hasn't been absolutely terrible like it was last year. Like all things we hammered on with J.P., he is doing. Defensive run saved actually likes him better than outs above average does. Outs above average has him a little bit below average right now. Defensive run saved, he's plus three. So DRS says he's been a good defender at shortstop and is getting back to his usual ways. So that's been great to see. The fact he is squaring up fastballs, that is the biggest key. I mean, as for any hitter, you hit fastballs, you're going to be successful. We talked about with Julio last week. He was struggling to hit the fastball. That's why he's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start. We have hammered on the fact that J.P. Crawford has struggled with fastballs his whole career. Until this year, his run value against fastballs is plus seven. That's really, really good. All the rest of the years of his career, it was really low. He was not hitting fastballs. So all that work he did at driveline, it's paying off. It's doing dividends because he looks like a completely transformed hitter right now. And it's been doing wonders for this Mariners lineup. We're going to check back on this 
let's say in July. I think that's a that's a pretty fair sample size, pretty fair chunk of time for JP Crawford because he did start well last year and he tailed off and was not hitting well at all down the stretch of last season. But if we're talking about this in July where JP Crawford is still hitting fastballs really well, he's still playing good defense, he's healthy and he's still walking say 14% of the time, then, you know, JP, here are your flowers. You you have done what is asked of you, and you're living up to the contract. Your team chose not to sign an impact-free agent shortstop because they believed in you, and you went in and you put in the work in the offseason to make yourself a difference maker and, a re- and really help this team in a position they needed. I'm just going to say it really quickly. We'll check back on this in July. Right now, here in the middle of May, Trey Turner, lower war than J.P. Crawford, significantly lower WRC plus. He's under 100 right now. Carlos Correa, 0.2 war, 87 WRC plus. Again, JP's WRC plus, which measures offensive production, 116, 16% above league average. Mariners fans harped and harped and harped on getting one of those guys. And they might still end up being better than Crawford. Obviously, they're superstars. But right now, JP's been the better guy. That's true. It, let's say the, the positions hurting the Mariners so far have not been the guys they did not sign this offseason. That's for sure. Because that, that would be a whole nother conversation uh, we could have. So I think that'll do it for our Mariners storylines. Lyle, I've been really looking forward to get to this next segment. When this idea was broached to me that we should include this on the podcast, I was very, very intrigued. But we officially now have a Marine Lair podcast voicemail line. You can call us leave us a voicemail and have your voice heard on the show. In my day job, I do a I do a call-in show. I love doing the call-in show. I love reactions, I love excitement, and this is how we get an opportunity to do this on this podcast. So I'm I'm so excited we finally get to do this segment. So let's so here is the phone number you can call. The layer line we're going to call it. If you want to give us a ring and have your voice heard on the podcast, you can call 206-880-0907. Again, the phone number is 206-880-0907. You can leave us a voicemail and you have a chance to get played here on the podcast and hear us react to whatever you have to say. You can send us whatever, to be honest. We'll screen it and see what we should put on here. But uh, we'll also put the We'll put the number down in the description on YouTube and on Spotify and such. So I'm really excited to get into these. I can't wait. And guys, we're giving your we're giving you guys a chance to have your voice heard. So we know you're out there as people who spend time on social media and on Mariners Twitter. We know there's a bunch of you out there that have thoughts on this team. You like to scream it on social media through text and through words. Well, you can have your voice heard now on the podcast. We're going to give you the platform. All you have to do is call the line and Give us your message. It can be positive. It can be analytical. It can be as negative as you want it to be. Whatever you want to send us, send it. Again, like TJ said, we will listen to these before we play them, but you can send us whatever you want. Now, let's say we have a pretty, as long as you're not maybe like demeaning somebody and take making it really personally, if it's good, we're going to play it. I promise you. And I, I promise you. So without waiting any longer, Lyle, let's get to our, let's get to our first one. Um, he sent us one right away. Uh, I'm not going to spoil his name. We can hear it um, at, w- when I play this. But right after, right after we introduced it, we got one in. So 
He's first. He's first in line. So let's hear our first uh, first voicemail here on the show. Hey, guys. This is Tommy in Austin, Texas. Love the show. Uh, do you think the Mariners are missing guys like Carlos Santana and Jesse Winker, uh, you know, notoriously for getting on base, good at controlling the zone? Because right now watching this lineup is abysmal. They seem to have horrible plate discipline, uh, except for a few guys. Uh, but we'll love to get your take on that. Thanks. Bye. Thanks to Tommy, the first official caller of the Marine Lara podcast. Lau, I'll let you go first. So this is a good question, and he clearly thought it out, and I'm glad he sent it to us. So I think we can kind of agree. I'll, I'll hit this on two points first. I think we can kind of agree in just a short sentence right here. I don't think people are missing Jesse Winker. Just between he's not playing well in Milwaukee. He had clubhouse problems here in Seattle. He massively underperformed expectations after the trade, both with his offense and his defense. I don't really think people are missing Winker, despite the fact that he drew walks. Now, Carlos Santana, I think, is a fair case. I think people are missing Santana because we've talked about it here through the first six weeks. They're kind of a bat short. They could use a DH. Santana's off to a good start with the Pirates. I'm not saying he's an all-star, but he's doing essentially what he did last year in Seattle. And the fact that the shift is gone now so opened up more holes for hits for him. So yeah, I, I do think they miss Santana a little bit. Here's my thought on this. In theory, having more guys who could control the zone, I think would be better for this lineup. I think it would make it longer. And I think it would be some nice variants for what they currently have in this lineup, which is a lot of swing and miss. And right now, not as many walks as they would like. But let me read you some stats here, Lyle. Uh, on the season, Carlos Santana, 91 WRC+, 239, 327, 362 on the slash line. Jesse Winker, 79 WRC+, 218, 347, 256, striking out 22% of the time. Teoscar Hernandez, who I know is essentially the aim of this. I, I I can just pick it out. This is the aim of this. Teoscar, by comparison, 229, 268, 414, 89 WRC+, plus. 34.5% strikeout rate. Teoscar's striking out more. He's not walking as much. But the offensive productivity is uh, overall about the same, a net same. So my response to Tommy is, in theory, yes, but those specific players, maybe not, I guess, is what I, what I come to conclusion with that. I think that's fair. I mean, 91 WRC plus is below league average. And to be fair to Santana, he was hitting better a few weeks ago. But it's probably still better than what they've gotten out of the DH spot for at least a portion of the year. You know, when they were trying to throw Cooper Hummel out there, when they were, you know, I mean, Pollock would be in there sometime when Tommy LaStella was in there. Santana definitely was an upgrade over those mm -hmm. guys. But probably. to your point, maybe it's not a massive upgrade now that they've kind of reconstructed things a little bit. Yeah. And I, I forgot to add Pollock in there. So yeah, he's probably not. An upgrade over AJ Pollock. I mean, I'll give him that. But AJ Pollock was also needed in the outfield, and we didn't see it. By, I guess you did. You saw it, but maybe not. Uh, not everyone was uh, big on the Jared Kelnick train uh, just then. All right, let's get to our second voicemail. This is Mike from Spanaway. So good series by the Mariners here against the Tigers. You know, you're able to get the series two out of three, but unfortunately, Game Three should have been a sweep. This this should have been a sweep. It's good to see the Mariners beat up on a team that they have to beat up on and that they should have beaten up on. But 
Logan Gilbert has looked so mediocre this year. Not saying he's not he's not an ace, but it's just he's not pitching as well or up to par like he usually has. And of course, Scott Service goes to the bullpen and he uses the one guy that he continuously overuses. And Matt Brash is on pace to pitch over a hundred games this year. And you just can't do that to a guy like him in control today. Absolutely no control today. And starting to think either you give the guy a week off or you send him down to Tacoma for about a week or two and develop a little bit more control. Good series by the Mariners. Looking forward to playing against Boston because i got a feeling that we are going to take, take it to Boston and get two out of three from them. Mike was so off. There he's, we go. Yeah. He's got a, a solid point there about Brash. I, I don't know if his overuse directly relates to his sometimes sporadic control because he's just a guy who has sporadic control, but he's right. I mean, the Mariners cannot pitch Matt Brash 100 times this season and expect him to hold up. I agree with that. He needs more rest. They've got to get him some more off days for more consecutive days in a row. No reliever throws 100 appearances. Now, a lot of these appearances Brash has been brought in for have been short because they bring him in a high leverage situation to just get one out, maybe two. Still doesn't matter. He's got to get more rest. Now, I'm going to disagree with the Logan Gilbert point there. because So Jerry Depoto was on the wheelhouse this week. That's his podcast he does with Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. He was talking about how dating back to last August through now, the Mariners have three guys in their rotation that ranked top 10 in the American League in F-War. Logan Gilbert is one of those pitchers. Now, he ranks lower than Castillo and Kirby. He's in the top 10. Right now, he's got a win and a half by F-War. And you look at his underlying numbers with a 2.65 XERA, which is an ERA predictor. It's saying what your ERA should be. Yeah, he's been pretty good. I know he has his starts where maybe he struggles a little bit with command, but I think Logan Gilbert's been pretty good. I'll agree his, he was pretty mediocre against the Tigers, yeah, on on Sunday. Yeah, he was pretty mediocre. You're not wrong there, but he, like Lyle said, he's already been worth over a win and a half this year, and I believe he's, what, top 15? He's top 15, top 20? Like, you can't complain about that. I mean, one bad start, I mean, it happens. It happens. I do have, like, I have my beef with Matt Brash. Like, you come in with the bases loaded in a tie game against statistically the worst hitter in baseball. On Sunday, the the guy for the Tigers whose name is escaping me, um, and he ends up hitting him. And I have my beef with that. And we'll we'll hear a little bit from our our next voicemail as well, who goes along the same lines um, in terms of Matt Brash. But I'm you know wondering where Matt Brash's cutter is because I I believe it is for situations like this where his control kind of goes right out the window and he can't throw a strike. Super quick before we move on. Wasn't it Mayton that he lost? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, wasn't totally sure. So I'll, I'll address Matt Brash after we hear our, uh, our third voicemail here. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Isaiah. I'm from Texas. Uh, long-time listener, second-time caller. I didn't like my first one. Anyways, you know, story of the game, bullpen couldn't hold it late. Matt Brash, more like Matt Trash. He had no command, not at all. Put that, put, Take his ass to Tacoma. He'd be a runner anyways. Uh, one, what, one for 12 with runners in scoring position? That's ridiculous. Come on. We got to do better than that. I, I, you know, if they needed somebody to go out there and not hit the ball, 
with runners in scoring position, I can do that shit. So anyways, uh, you know, I'll just hang up and listen to the response. Isaiah, we'll pass your number along to Jerry DePoto. Okay, I'm just going to go in on this now. I, I saved it after the last caller because I knew we had some brash talk to get to. This is why I am begging people. I am begging people to learn modern baseball. Look at advanced numbers. Look at baseball savant. Look at the ERA predictors because this is how big league teams think. I saw way too much of this discourse yesterday after Brash's outing. And yes, we will sit here and say Matt Brash had a bad outing yesterday. Cost him the game. But Matt Brash is still pitching like the Matt Brash that is an elite reliever. It's just not showing up on ERA. Look at all of his underlying stats. Every single one says that he is going to get back to his peak form really soon here. And Jerry DePoto reiterated the same thing on his podcast. He's reiterated it all year. They are not sending Brash to Tacoma. That's not happening. They're not sending Matt Brash to Tacoma. They, well, first of all, they can't because he's their best reliever. Like, let's just stop. Like, you stop it right there. They, like, they need him there. It can be true that Matt Brash is A, your best reliever, and B, that he had a shitty outing on Sunday. Because he did. That's an outing, like we said, where he could use a cutter. The only the only reason you would ever ponder sending him to Tacoma, whereas you could say, okay, you're going to go down there for two weeks and you're only throwing cutters. Because you, like, it was told, we were told in the offseason that you were going to come in here and you're going to throw a cutter for the situation like Sunday where you cannot locate your fastball and your slider's moving so much that you can't put it in the strike zone. Okay, so now I have a cutter that can actually throw in the strike zone, get a little bit of swing and miss, but more importantly, just throw it for strikes. That's the most important thing. It's something we haven't seen from Brash this season is throwing that pitch. That's the only reason I would think of, but they're not going to do it. It's like, it's not going to happen. Just to run through a couple of the numbers really quick. His FIP is 208. His XFIP is 241. His XERA is 321. And again, those are all ERA predictors taking more modern things into account like walks, strikeouts, home runs to signal what your ERA probably should be. And again, he's still striking guys out at a ridiculous rate. His K per nine is 17. He's striking out 17 batters per nine. Guys, I promise Brash is going to be fine. Just give it a little time. Could you remind the good folks what his batting average on balls in play is? Oh, it's the highest in baseball. It's over 500, and it's the it's the worst in baseball by a huge margin. So that's the other part of this. All the runs that have been credited to his ERA are basically all on ridiculously soft contact that he's had the unlucky side of because they're just falling for hits. He's not giving up home runs or hard hit balls. Pretty well said. If you could just go look, my favorite activity, you go go to fan graphs, go to the leaderboards for, for relief pitcher F4, get them in order, and then go to the BABIP column, and then go look down. It's like 260, 230, 290, 270, 526, 280, uh, 300. Like, it's, it's fucking ridiculous. It should be possible that he's still up there with that. So it's going to come down. He is not going to give up hits on half the balls that get in play all year. There's no chance. It's coming down. And he is just going to continue to get better. End of story. 
you know, I think we got everything we wanted out of our first voicemail segment. Look at us. We're shouting. That's the point. <laughs> this is why call-in stuff is fun. I mean, you do it on the radio all the time. You match people's energy. If people are mad about something, we might push it right back and say, hey, we either we agree or here's why we don't agree. Yeah. So guys, keep sending us calls. Like you want to bring our personalities out. We want to bring your personalities out. Send us, send us, send us voicemails. Again, the number to call 206-880-0907. It's very easy. My voice will walk you exactly through what you need to do to just leave us a voicemail. We'll get the voicemail. And if it's good, we'll play it on the next show. A little bit, uh, we're going to get to a conversation here with our good friend, Justin Toscano. He is the Braves beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We all met while we were covering Arizona State baseball back in school. Justin, a couple years ahead of us, but we're all, you know, like-minded, West Coast, baseball-loving people who studied journalism at ASU. So you could imagine we had a lot in common. I always love talking to Justin. He knows his baseball. He's funny. We have a lot of the same friends. So it it makes for a fantastic conversation. Uh, Yeah, it was, I'm so, I'm glad we got him on. We haven't had a ton of beat writers on this year outside of the Mariners guys. And we certainly have had no other beat writers on from other teams, but we figured, look, this Brave series is such a marquee series because they're a true world series contender. We should preview it a little bit because it's, arguably the Mariners' biggest series to date upcoming this weekend. And Justin did a great job for us doing so. Talked about a bunch of the guys that have been hot, maybe some areas the Braves are looking to improve in. And also, okay, so we'll give you guys a heads up. Because we all went to ASU, the first 15 to 20 minutes of this, we are just sharing ASU stories, but all our personalities come out. We're talking about some fun stuff. There's ASU baseball stuff in there. But if you just want to hear Mariners' Brave stuff, Mariners' Brave stuff, go to about the 20 minute mark of the interview. And you can just go right to that. We don't want to hold you any longer. If you want to go find Justin's stuff, you can go find him on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano. Um, He's yeah, he's, he's fantastic. He knows what he's talking about. He shared a little bit in that interview. So we won't hold you any longer. Let's get to our interview with Justin Toscano. On Justin Toscano of the Atlanta journal constitution. He's the Braves beat writer for the AJC a fellow ASU alum, a couple of years ahead of Lyle and I. So we appreciate Justin taking some time to join us today. Justin, appreciate you coming on. I would just like to say how proud I am of the three of us. Look, like how, how, like how this, all of us have, have grown since sitting in the Phoenix Muni press box during 2018. Cause I think that was, that was the initial point where we all met and just, I, I feel like that's, a, that's a place where things really get established and then start growing from there. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, no, that that was funny. I remember like meeting you guys as freshmen. It was cool to just kind of like, shoot the breeze in the press box. We didn't get to watch a ton of good baseball, but yeah, I I feel like I don't know. I, I it is pretty crazy because now we're all doing this, and um, yeah, it's it's fun to look back on that and just kind of like yeah, it's it's wild to think that I knew you guys. You know, I see you guys at like parties or like out you know at school or stuff like that and it's just like yeah it's it's no it, it's crazy and it's been yeah if that was 2018 and geez like it's been what five years that's five years ago mm-hmm. holy smokes I, that yeah um i know that's that's crazy also why when you say phoenix muni why do i think of like the chicken tender basket like why can i smell the chicken tenders right now like just like were you all used to 
were you a big guy, like big concession guy? I like none of that food ever appealed to me. It's just so basic. I, dude, when you when you cover 40 ASU, 30 ASU baseball games a year, what are you gonna do? Especially on some of those like afternoons where you, you know, you wake up and just head to the park. I mean, I was they used to get pizza. So I don't know if they did that when you guys were there, but I remember my first couple years there, they used to do like pizza in the press box for like Friday and Saturday night games, which was like awesome. But anyways, thanks for having me. I won't go on about ASU baseball because I know people aren't listening about that, but we like it. I do have to ask one hard hitting question. Do you think you're still allowed in the press box? (laughs) Uh, I'm hoping there's like sort of like a, I haven't tried in five years, and that's because I'm hoping there's sort of like a statute of limitations sort of thing where people just forget. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I joke and I kid. I hope so because I love that program, and like honestly, I have like a lot of, I have a lot of affinity for it because I feel like that's how I got my start in a way. Like I feel very like, I feel very grateful and very indebted to like, uh, those people. You know, from Tracy Smith, whose program I covered, to Thomas Lenneberg, who was the SID when I was there, to Jeremy Hawks who is, you know, Thomas's replacement uh, as the baseball SID. And I, I just feel really indebted to all those SIDs and coaches and players who allowed me to be there. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what I – so I, I'm i just, like, hyped, man. I know they're on a little bit of a kind of a cold snap right now, but, like, they're good, man. They're good. And I it's, it's fun to watch. And I just, like, you know, I'm happy for them, and that's where the program deserves to be. And uh, – yeah, I, I, I guess for those of you who don't know, I you know there was a story I wrote that maybe was not well liked among the coaching staff at the time, but I just <laughs> did the reporting that I could and that I thought was right and checked it over and over again. So, but I just, I yeah, I, I have so much love for that program because that's how I feel like, that's how I feel like I got my start. Like even though I also covered football and basketball and like you know other sports there when i was a freshman i did like swim and dive and i'd done like hockey too like their first and their first d1 hockey season i covered um but yeah man i love that program and i'm just like so happy that they're good again here's the thing though when are we going to get an on-campus stadium i mean i feel like the days of packard must have been lit i'm with you except we never got to experience it well TJ, sort of, you just said it. I'm going to tell a 20-second funny story here. TJ had to do some project for his freshman year class, so he was going to do it on ASU baseball. This dude doesn't have a car, so he takes the light rail down to Packard Stadium in 2017 when we were freshmen. And he gets out, he looks around, and he's like, wait, am I in the wrong place? <laughs> yeah, there were the they had the chain link fences up over all of the entrances. They had them up on the on the second level too. And I'm looking I'm like this does not look right. There's no way a college baseball team plays here. I had to do some googling, and eventually the resourcefulness paid off, and and I figured out where they actually played. But it was nice to to get to see Packard from the outside. I'm sure it was great on the inside when there was a field there. But now it's just remember. a parking lot. Yeah, yeah, remember, yeah, when the chain link fences, when they still had the signage there, like, so I was there over the weekend for my brother's college graduation, shout out, Brandon, congratulations, but I was, we drove past where Packard used to be, it's nothing, but it used to have, like, the signage when we were there, but do you remember, like, the overgrown trees, like, on the signage, it almost looked like the wall at Wrigley Field, it almost looked like the Ivy, like, it was just overgrown on the signage of, like, the old Packard Stadium, but no field. The thing I have to ask, like the university, what are they going to put there? Like you could put another baseball diamond there. I, my, 
my hottest ASU take to date, and there have been some hot ones. Uh, no, not not really. But I, I'm not a big hockey fan, so like, but I love that we have a program and it's fun to like, you know, support or hope they do well and support them. But hockey arena over a basketball stadium, or like even a multi-purpose arena, or like over. Dude, we're a baseball school. We should have an on-campus baseball stadium. And it's just, like, I know the attendance is never going to be SEC level, like 9,000 on a Friday night or something. But come on, man. We can have more than three or 4,000. I think if you put it on campus and people could just walk there, like, from Mill or from their dorm rooms or from wherever they're coming, I just think, like, I think ASU baseball deserves to be relevant, relevant in the Tempe sphere. I agree with that. I mean, like you said, I mean, Barry Bonds went to this school. A ton of legends played baseball in the Valley. So, look, yeah, I'm a hockey guy too, but I would have loved to see an on-campus baseball stadium. I don't think that's a hot take. Yeah, I know. I know. it. I don't know if we're – I don't know what the lease is like at Muni or, like, how that even works, but I just, like – oh, I mean, you guys went, man. Like, when I was a freshman, I didn't have a car, and it was just, like, the light rail to Muni, the light rail plus the walk was like mm-hmm. yeah you know the the it's just like if you're a student dude why like you got to be a pretty big right. baseball fan to do that and i'm not saying it's hard to do like it's relatively close to campus but a lot of college students like you would get so many more people if they could just stumble over there like just walk over there whatever from whatever they've been doing and just like catch even a little bit of a baseball game whereas like i feel like phoenix muni it has to be an outing per se the the thing I like about Muni, it's it was good for us journalism students because the press box is far and away the best in the Pac twelve. It's it's not awesome. even close. Like as as someone like mm-hmm. I, I work here in Corvallis with Oregon State now, their press box is is okay for for a college press box. But I mean, it's not Muni. Like air conditioning and multiple booths and a bathroom in there and like all all these sorts of things that not all these other press boxes have. So like it was good in that way. But you're right. There just there needs to be they need to like somehow replicate the old miss structure where they can put the students in the outfield with like a grassy berm. Like, is that all the spring training stadiums and just have them get hammered? I think it's more fun that way. That that's actually a good point that I did not think of. And it makes me want to walk back part of my comments about Muni on campus baseball stadiums. Very nice press box, like to the point where like, I mean, I think sometimes they do now, like Cronkite kids travel to away baseball games, but like we never did, or at least like, like I went to Fullerton a couple times, but that was like during spring break or like when I could, could, you know, when I was home already uh, back in San Diego, but Muni was like, Muni is as nice as Muni is nicer than most spring training ballparks I've been in, in terms of press boxes, like in terms of sight lines, in terms of the views, like Muni is better than. I would say a decent chunk of spring training ballparks. And that's like major league baseball, spring training ballparks that people have to work in every day. And Muni is a very good press box. You're right. Very spacious. Yeah. Lots of room, lots of chair, very nice chairs, very, very comfortable chairs. Yes. Very cushiony chairs. Um, Yeah, I know, but man, teams come a long way. I think I, I just, I just keep thinking they may not have the pitching. And then the pitching showed up for three games and they couldn't score more than like five runs. So we'll, we'll see how it is. Young team, really exciting though. 
I got I have one more Arizona question before we start talking a little bit about the Braves and this upcoming series this weekend. So you mentioned you were in Arizona for your brother's right. graduation. So this is always a fun question. So when you get to Arizona and you're going back to someone who no longer lives there, what food places or, or slash what drinking places are you going in order? What's first and like what's next? Like list it out for us. Dude, okay, so if I'm going there, usually this time I wasn't, but usually I'm staying downtown. So let's just take a Braves trip, for example. Usually I'm staying, you know, I'm staying downtown. Honestly, like, hey, hey did you guys ever go to Taco Cello on Roosevelt Row? Or on like Roosevelt Row? Mm, that that, that place so. hits. That place is super good. Um, I I haven't been to Welcome Diner in years. So probably Taco Cello. And then when I'm in Tempe, man, like, can you not can you not go to Casa? Like I or is there any way to not go to Casa? Like I just think like it's iconic. Like even if um I've been there, you know, when I went for a football game a couple of years ago, I went there, you know, before the game. I think like it's so basic and unoriginal, but it's kind of like a founding ASU experience. Like it would be on the Mount yeah. Rushmore of, of ASU experiences. So I think Casa and then um Yeah, I'm trying to think of like other food places I eat i'm trying to think downtown where did i go i i feel like i'm drawing a big blank um oh sibo sibo hits uh that place hmm. slaps the pizza place you ever been there downtown man i think we had some different food experiences yeah I, barbecue is good you ever been to barbecue still i, I, I think, think different <laughs> what, i, I what, think you're gonna have to make a checklist for us yeah what what did, where did you guys go I think I'm landing on DeFalco's at number one, pretty okay, bar none. I, that place is that place is that like that place. If you told me that was like a, like some place on Long Island, I would believe you like 100. percent Like that's how okay. authentic okay. Italian it is. So it's it's good. And then you know other you could go like I'm a big culinary dropout person. It's like it's a chain, but it's pretty good. Um, yeah. And then on on Mill, we didn't get to go there last time. We were there in February for the Super Bowl. Fat Tuesday. I mean, I, actually, I need an answer from you on this because okay. I think we have a divide in, in on this podcast of, of our opinions of that establishment. So I think you're the deciding vote here on if Fat Tuesdays is a legit bar or not. Honestly, I don't think I've ever been. Or maybe, wow. maybe, maybe like it's because here's the thing is it's not somewhere you would start. And so like mm -hmm. I tend to not have as much of a recollection of where the night goes than where it starts. Like not in terms of like drinking too much. That's never happened. I just mean like, I just mean like there's no, I, I just think about it in terms of like where we go first. And that used to be for mm -hmm. me, like whiskey row, dude. I'm so mm -hmm. whiskey row was like as basic as it got. And it was like so annoying, but somehow we would always find our way there. And it was like, it was like the prodigal son always finds his way home when he's on mill. Like, it's just kind of like you'd, you think you want to do some cool stuff. You're like, all right, we're at Q, Q Club. It's pretty chill. We're at low key, like good environment, good atmosphere. Eventually, like all, all roads lead back to Whiskey Row and it's it's not there anymore. It was it was it was highly annoying like Casa was. But yeah, I don't think I've been to that Tuesday. I'm trying to think like there's nothing that distinguishes it where I remember it. Did you guys go it's to slushies? Oh, have you guys ever been to Champagne Lanes downtown, which was not there when we were there, but it is there now. It's like this. It's like miniature bowling, 
and like it's a bar and stuff. It's like it's think of like Top Golf. Well, not really, but it's kind of like it's miniature bowling in a bar. Like it's 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 interesting. So when we were back there in February, we got to explore a little bit of Roosevelt Row. But like since so much of that has been built since we graduated, like we haven't gotten to go see all of it. So I think the, the only place I can remember is the arcade bar, which I can't remember the name of. Um, yeah, that's Cobra probably Arcade. my most famous. Yeah, that one's good. Yeah, Cobra Arcade. Yeah, and I think like, um, did you guys see like the place uh, AZ Wilderness? Like it's kind of like that patio on Roosevelt. It's like it's kind of like a drinking. You know, it's like a patio where you can hang out. It's like a what do you call it? It's almost like a it's like a food hall inside. It's the you can get food inside, mm-hmm. but then there's that huge patio outside where everybody sits. I, Lyle, is that not where we went? Say the name one more time. It's like wilderness or something like that. It, it it's maybe big big outdoor area. Like big, it's mostly outdoors. Anyways, I feel like my last two years there, I just didn't really. Well, last year and a half or year, I didn't really like go out as much, and that was probably just because I was doing so much stuff and like trying to get a job and like all that stuff that it just like it didn't really appeal to me as much. Um, and I didn't really like. Geez, I wasn't as wild as, you know, some people at our school. We went to ASU, so we were by no means, you know, <laughs> even if we had fun, we didn't, you know, go hard or anything. But it was I yeah, so I can't I'm trying to think, man. Like I I'm trying to think like Lyle, if it if it rings your memory a little bit, it was the place we were at where you guys were all making fun of me for being hungover. Still isn't for some reason. I don't know why I'm blanking on this. I'm going to have to go look it up. Justin's given us a whole checklist now of downtown places to go hit the next time we're there. Because maybe we only hit the Tempe spots a lot and, and didn't check out, check out enough of downtown. So maybe maybe next time we'll have to circle our way more around the downtown area and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I like downtown, man. I still stay there. It gives me the feels because we went to school mm-hmm. there. But I didn't because I never lived in Tempe. Like to me, I just mm-hmm. stayed in Ropo the entire time. But I guess you might not be able to do that now because like there's rats and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We heard about the rat stories. So <laughs> we're we're the, the, pretty the, thankful we didn't didn't try it. Sharp twist. Ropo used to be when I was there. So 2015, fall 2015 was my sophomore year. And was that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fall 2015 was my sophomore year. Started my sophomore year. And like Ropo, Ropo was like the gold standard, like in terms of apartment living. It was like the only place there that you would, you know, you you could live at Skyline. You could live at, you know, the Met, a couple of these other places. But Ropo was like that your traditional, like, quote unquote, high rise, you know, mid rise, whatever you want to call it. Uh, nice college apartments, like really nice, you know, expensive. And then, like, in the span of, like, three years, it had rats. <laughs> what a place, man. <laughs> that's, AS, that's ASU for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good education, though. Oh, oh great, great education. That's what, like we always say, Harvard of the West, innovation and all. It All right. Cronkite was the best. Like, you really, it gives you so many opportunities that I realize now that like I would not have gotten at Missouri and like, I wouldn't want, I would not have wanted to live in Columbia, Missouri. And I would not mm-hmm. have wanted to live in Syracuse, New York, or like mm-hmm. you get so many opportunities at Cronkite that I just feel like kids at other schools didn't get. And I was like, that was, yeah, yeah that was sweet. So I, yeah, I loved ASU. And like I said, I mostly like, I didn't really 
party much and i didn't you know so i my my experience is much different than that of like a tempe fraternity brother obviously but i enjoyed how like i'm (laughs) and then we'll get into baseball but i still remember like in high school we would do so i went to a catholic high school all boys high school and we would do like this uh spring break trip you could go on um one of the years you know for juniors and seniors or whatever it was i think it was juniors and seniors and the year that my parents sent me on it, it was kind of like a college trip. And like there was like it was a service trip. So we do some community service, too. But we check out colleges. And the year I went, it was to Chicago. And, uh, dude, I remember going to Northwestern, legitimately like one of the best journalism schools in the country, especially if you're a writer. Like there are tons of writers went to Northwestern. And I'm just walking through and I'm like, dude, like none of these kids seem like any fun. Like I would not have like it was like not even just like I'm not even talking about parting because I didn't really do that much. I just mean like I was like, well, it just it seemed like Hogwarts. It was just like a it was one Northwestern was one big library and it was cloudy and it was like the vibe. Like I felt like everybody at ASU was very laid back and like super kind and like really nice. And I think that's what made it so much fun is that like. I mean, even you guys were a couple of years behind me, but I feel like, you know, I'd still consider you pretty good friends or, you know, guys I'd talk to. And so I just feel like I just feel like ASU aligned much more with like the people I liked to be around, too, which was sweet. And you didn't have to suffer through a winner. Oh, man, I know. At ASU, you were like, oh, can it just please be cloudy? And then after I left and started my career, I was like, I would take Phoenix in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, Justin. We'll speak- all right. Yeah, let's uh let's get on to baseball a little bit. I mean, I I do love spending as much time as possible talking about ASU memories. In fact, we spent probably the first 45 minutes before we started recording doing the exact same thing which we could probably make our own podcast about my Lexus talking to me in the background. So just disregard that. Um, so we can get onto the Braves, the Braves uh, and the Mariners will face off this weekend uh, and a really intriguing series, a really memorable series last year. One that was at T-Mobile park that we'll touch on a little bit later, but we can talk about this current iteration coming up this weekend. So we're having Justin on to talk about, about the Braves because well, this is his job and he does this every day for a living. So overall, Justin, the Braves are coming off a sweep against the Toronto Blue Jays. Overall, the outlook so far, they've been super good this year. There's been a lot of guys that have been resurgent or have just been outright awesome along the Braves roster. So really, what is like a general outlook right now of the Atlanta Braves? Yeah, well, they just um, kind of as we're doing this, they were just swept by the Blue Jays. but. Overall, look, you've lost you they, you lose if you lose four games in a row and you're still up five games in the division in early May, things are going pretty well. And I think what it is is they found the ideal balance that all baseball teams are trying to achieve where one, you've got established talent, and then two, your prospects pop at the right time, right? So like they had enough of a core of guys from like Acuna and Ozzy Albies and then Max Fried eventually. And then like Austin Riley popped. And then like a couple years later, Michael Harris popped and Spencer Strider. And like they've kind of achieved that balance. And then two, they've been able to extend them. Like in a sport that sees a lot of guys just take it straight to arbitration and straight to free agency, they've been able to give these guys a decent, maybe, you know, a little bit of a kind of throw them a bone or give them a little bit of a you know carrot in their eye about like hey like you can make this guaranteed money now like how about you know so they extended michael harris 
They extended Spencer Strider. They extended Austin Riley. Um, you know, obviously Ronald Acuna Jr. got done years ago. Same with Ozzy Albies. Um, and I, you know, they trade for Sean Murphy and they extend him. So I think they've really revolutionized baseball in, in that way. And obviously the other side of that is that, you know, there's a reason teams don't extend. You need to have players that you would want to extend to extend them. And there's a reason that teams don't put themselves on the hook for that many contracts at the same time, that many long-term contracts at the same time. But I think, yeah, the overall outlook is really good. Like the overall outlook is that I think it's a bit obtuse to say a team is World Series or bust, but this is going to be one that if the year doesn't end with a World Series run, they're they're going to be disappointed because they have the team to do it and they truly can't accomplish that. So, you know, right now they're deep, they're talented, things are, you know, they've had their struggles and their different points of adversity, but I don't, you know, there are very few rosters, if any, that you would take over this one in baseball. Okay, so you just talked about all the contract extensions that the Braves have gotten done over the years. You're probably about as good a person to ask about this as anyone. How in the world is Alex Anthopoulos pulling all these deals off? I will never be able to sit here and understand how all these young guys who have the chance to make millions and millions once they hit free agency are agreeing to take all these team-friendly deals, but it keeps happening. Yeah, and I think some of it is like, okay, team-friendly from the outside, sure, but if you're Spencer Strider and, you know, not saying he thought this way specifically, but for a pitcher, man, like you can blow it out on one pitch and never be the same or, or whatever it might be. So six years, 75 million is a pretty good bet. Even if Spencer's and like, look, the way Spencer Strider's going, we'll probably look in a few years and be like, this is insane. Like he's going to make $200 million in his next contract or something. But like, you know, same with Michael Harris. Like he, he just wanted to be in Atlanta. He's an Atlanta area guy, grew up a huge, you know, diehard Braves fan, diehard Falcons fan, diehard Hawks fan. He went to the Braves World Series parade a couple years ago. Um, Austin Riley, like Austin Riley could have made more money and, you know, knows he could have made more money, but eventually the, you know, the conversation between, you know, him and kind of his representation was like, hey, like, you know, like eventually you need to, you need to be happy where you are. And I think that Alex Anthopoulos has come in and really by hiring good people, by bringing good people in, has turned around kind of the work environment and and implemented a culture without, you know, he always says that he doesn't believe in the idea of like implementing your own blueprint, but the culture is good in Atlanta and like guys like to play there and you hear good things about it from agents around the league and things like that. So it's a good place to play. Two, the team is good. So why would you know you know you're gonna have a chance to win long term? And then three, I think there's a part of it that like, yeah, that's definitely hey, the team's taking on some of the risk if you're signing guys when they have less than a year of service time. But there were those examples of obviously, you know, every GM knows who to target and who to go for. Like, you know, Ronald Acuna years ago, it was his agent actually told him, you know tried to keep him from keep taking that deal. And it was like to Ronald, it was like, okay, you know, if they get to a hundred million, I'll sign. And so they did, they got to a hundred million. He signed for eight years, a hundred million. Ozzy Albies, you know, seven years and 35 million. I mean, guaranteed money early in careers and guaranteed year. I mean, that, that has a big sway on players. And I think the Braves have been the team willing to do it right. Like we're seeing the Dodgers this year. 
they cut bait with a lot of guys and were like, Hey, we're not going to sign anybody long-term this winter. Like we're going to try, they tried to reset the books and that's the benefit, right? Because like, if this doesn't work out for the Braves and three years down the line, these guys are mid players, medium level players. Like it looks bad, right? Cause then you've basically put your next decade into guys that don't pan out as you thought they would. I don't think that's going to happen, but there's certainly risk to it. And I think, yeah. So I think one, it's the culture Two, It's the idea of guaranteed money early in a career that can like, you know, still keep you solid and safe and secure, even if you have an injury and three, it's the guys they get like the guys they tend to scout and draft like their team first guys. They're guys who are kind of like down home, low key, like Austin Riley type guys who, you know, they're simple, like they don't want a ton. Um, they're not just playing for money. They want to win. They want to be part of the community and part of something and part of the culture. And so I think it's, I think it's a little bit of that, but they've kind of just built this DNA where people want to be there. Let's talk about the guy who really <clears throat> got all that DNA started. And it was Ronald Acuna back when he came up, came up in the, in the later 2010s. He, you know, towards ACL in 2021 and last year he was still coming back and he wasn't really fully himself. He looks as good as he's ever been this year. Not only is his power fully back, what it seems, not only is his speed back, his 17 stolen bases already this season, but he is, I mean, he has got his taken his game to another level. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. He's striking out 13.5% of the time. That's absurd. That 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 is totally absurd. Yeah. No, he well, one, I think it's his explosiveness. And I think that's just completely the knee being fully healthy is now when he's like connecting with balls, he's demolishing them. Like he looks like old Ronald in that way where anything like if he's swats a homer, it's going like 430 at least like he's had a 461 foot shot, a 448 foot shot, and then a 471 foot shot. And that's just in like the last two weeks. And so, I mean, I think it's the explosiveness, but he can do it all right. Like I think it's a worthy debate for another time probably, but I think if Ronald Acuna, if all five tools are going at one time and you know, if he's, if he's on a heater, he's what got to be like one of the top five players in baseball. I mean, just because he has all five tools and if they're all going at one time, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find five or six that are better than players that are better than him. Um, and he really sets the tone for them. I mean, it's, it's crazy what it can do for you. I feel like as a team, <laughs> when it's in the other pitcher's head the entire time that like Ron Lacuna is the first guy up and he's aggressive and he's going to look to like hit a home run or just get on base. And if he does get on base, especially with the new rules, he's going to steal second. And I think he really sets the tone for them. And what's made it, what I think makes it fun is he's got such a flash and a pizzazz that he plays with that makes kind of the Braves fun. Like he's different. He's different than Austin Riley in that way. Like Austin Riley doesn't really show a lot of that emotion or, you know, Sean Murphy doesn't show a ton of that emotion. Acuna shows it differently. And I think that can be really fun and the bat flips and like, you know, the stutter steps around third, the Ja Morant, like you're too small, like all that stuff or like the ice tray or like doing LeBron celebration. Um, I mean, I think he's fun in that way and he really embraces it. But I do think you're right, like TJ, in that he's, I mean, he's the one who got this all started. Like him and Ozzy are, you know, the first prospects who kind of came up and started making a lot of noise. And, you know, you figure around that, if those guys didn't work out, 
it was going to be a pretty rough situation. I mean, that was kind of the start of really the rebuild in the up and coming years. And, you know, it's really just fed into everything else. So anything specific he noted that in his off season and his, in his working on his approach that, I mean, he, he used to be about a 24 to 28% strikeout guy to now he's probably in the top 3% of guys in terms of striking out across baseball while having better power than probably all the guys he's in a group with. I mean, it's these are the types of leaps, like you said, guys who are top five players in baseball take. And it, and it seems like he's really, really taken that step, you know, out, outside of like all the other sluggers that are in his class. Yeah, there's probably, you know, specific things he's worked on. Nothing he's told us like specifically or has revealed or shared, um, which doesn't mean he hasn't worked on it. It just means he hasn't told us publicly. I just think like for him, the thing he always goes back to is just that he feels healthy and just that he feels like mentally like he's got the explosion it's there and i think a lot there there was a lot of swing and miss last year and then there was like a lot of you know weaker contact than we'd ever seen from him and the knee feeling a lot better has allowed him to be more rotational in the swing and has allowed which has allowed him to be a lot more like explosive and kind of just he feels more fluid i think and more free and I, i mean that's just what he always points out is how good he feels this year uh it's kind of comforting for him because last year it was like he didn't feel like he was all the way back. He he felt like there was still some residual effect of of you know that knee surgery and then the ensuing rehab, and you know he had a back thing and it was just like it was one thing after another in terms of like these nagging injuries and it just kind of you know for him I think this year just feeling fully healthy has been really good and he just it almost makes me wonder how the Braves ever won a World Series without Ronald Acuna. That's the craziest part about that title is like you said, they did it without him. It was all those guys they traded for short term at the deadline that figured it out and just kind of a magical run and everything. They did it sans of their best player. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. Anthopolis magic. Yeah, exactly. You know, this series is going to feature the two reigning rookie of the year award winners, Julio Rodriguez and Michael Harris. And both those guys are kind of similar in the way of they lit the world on fire in their first year. Here we are about six weeks into their sophomore seasons, and both of them are kind of struggling a little bit out of the gate. TJ and I have outlined some of the reasons that Julio's gotten off to a bit of a slow start. But for Michael Harris, do you feel like it's that back injury that's affecting him, or is it just that he's he's kind of not putting bat to ball? Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. Like there there needs to be more bat to ball there, I, I think. And that was like the one thing last year with him was he just didn't walk enough. Um, and, you know, and, and there was, there was a lot of swing and miss when there was, but I still go back to the fact that like he came up as a 21 year old and at the time he replaced Travis Demerit, who had a pretty good run there for a couple weeks, but then he was, I think like three for 35 or something. Right. So like, the expectations for Michael Harris were just like, don't be that bad. And he really exceeded them because he ends up winning rookie of the year. Right. And so he obviously wants to take a leap, but I think there's still some of it where he's still figuring out big league pitching. I mean, we tend to like forget that with these guys who are so young and they come up and they're, you know, reigning rookie of the years. But I think for, yeah, for Mike too, it's been like, he's had a couple, he had a knee thing a couple weeks back and then the back injury. And I think it's just been kind of the season's been stop and start for him and stop and start and stop and go. And it's kind of been like, I think for him, it's been tough to establish a rhythm, but I think like uh, last year specifically, I know he struggled the curveball like later on um, and was just trying to set his kind of like set his sight lines differently. 
uh, is probably the easiest way to say it in the zone of trying to like pick those up and things like that. I remember talking about that, but yeah, I, I think, I think he will be fine, especially because like, look at worst, he's like the number, you know, number eight hitter for them, which is pretty, if Michael Harris is your number eight hitter, that's, that's not bad. I want to talk a little bit about the other rookie of the year finalist on the Braves last year. I'm disappointed a little bit uh, that we're not going to get to actually see him pitch. It, I yeah. I thought for a second someone tweeted it out that it was going to be Bryce Miller versus Spencer Strider on Friday. It was like, oh, okay. I mean, the Mariners probably won't win, but it's going to be pretty entertaining because Strider is probably the most fun guy to watch pitch nowadays in the big leagues. I think he's on pace for like 340 strikeouts this year, which is just just bananas and it's just so strange that a guy in his rookie season will strike out over 200 guys in 130 innings but you did an article on him the other day where you're just going around and asking players like just to describe him because he's you know he's six foot like a buck 80 I think Lyle is bigger than he is and yet he's on the mound throwing 100 miles an hour with essentially one breaking uh, one breaking pitch and guys cannot hit his fastball because it is it is such a good pitch. So, so could you like just describe like what like the what makes Spencer Strider like so good and, and like kind of put it in perspective? He's intentional about everything he does. So a few years ago in 2019, he had Tommy John surgery and is at Clemson. And he has a surgery and he's done for the entire year. And so um the way he looked at it was okay, well. You know, I can't pitch for a year, year plus. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tear everything down to the studs or what I feel I should tear down to the studs. I'm going to look at everything and I'm going to be intentional about things. So what he was is he was intentional about one, his routine two his arm action, three, his delivery, everything that went into everything he did. He thought about he evaluated. He was intentional about. And I think he set that intention of like, I think he knew, you know, hey, like, being a strikeout pitcher like that's what's going to make me money like that's what's going to keep me in the big leagues that's what's going to get me there keep me there you know make me money and what i find most impressive about spencer is that he's incredibly cerebral like he's the smartest guy you ever talk to like the way he explains like if you ask him a question about something you see on baseball savant or like he was teaching me spin direction I, i remember the first time i ever talked to him for an extended period of time in spring training was last year And he was telling me about like spin direction and just like, you know, just the percentage, you know, at which you want to like those pitches to spin or not spin, you know, if they're different pitches, Um, you're like, I understand maybe 45% of what this guy is saying at me right now. And my brain is turning, but it's not turning quickly enough. And he is so smart, like just so insightful And he takes it to the mound, right? Like you really see it because he's intentional about everything he does. Like he keeps a journal and he uses it to write about, you know, different things like how he felt in this outing. And if he was a little more tired in the fourth inning than he was last time out, maybe that's because he did a little extra this in his routine. So let's tone that down. Every single thing is calculated, like everything. And I know like Jesse Chavez told me like he reminded him a little bit of Sonny Gray, which when I asked that question around the clubhouse, I was thinking of it more as like stuff, right? Like whose stuff does this guy look like? Can can you compare him to anybody? But Jesse took it in the other route of like mentally, like Sonny Gray in terms of like having everything mapped out, everything planned out. So Spencer's one intentional and two, he's just, he's disciplined, man. Like you guys know how it is starting pitchers. Like that's what it is. Like it's routine. 
it's discipline it's how much you're willing to like stick to it and spencer does a really really good job of that he's super smart on the mound though i mean it's it's insane it doesn't make sense like you watch him pitch so if you were just to watch his delivery and you didn't see a radar gun you would think he throws like 93 because it looks effortless like it doesn't look like he's like he's not like DeGrom looks like he's just completely like slinging the ball right like Spencer looks like he's just it's just so fluid and it's effortless and it comes out at like 97 98 and it probably plays up because he's got a lower slot right and so like to hitters I think it looks like the fastball's never going down so it's like you're not throwing it and it's not ever it's not ever arcing that you can't ever pick it it's like it just goes up so you think it's going to be one spot and then it's up here and you swing under it and so it's like and like you said, I mean, one break, the slider is devastating because the fastball is so good. He hardly even uses the changeup. He's like doing this with two pitches. And I mean, you look at in his rookie season, he was the fastest player ever to get to 200 strikeouts in a season. Faster than Randy Johnson, faster than anybody, you know, Clayton Kershaw, anybody like all the greats. And I mean, you, he fell too short of the most consecutive nine strikeout games nolan ryan had 11 spencer's got nine and he's only 24 25 years old i just think it's everything i know that's a really long answer but i think the way to break it down for people who wouldn't know him was be like he's just incredibly smart and he cares a lot about everything he does he 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 lives and breathes baseball he's got other passions but he loves baseball and you can tell because he just dives so much into everything and looks for every little edge and he's so disciplined in what he's doing. Um, and he's got the consistency that a lot of people his age might lack. And then on the mound, obviously, he's got, you know, superhuman talent. Like, that's just, you're, you're not going to, you can be intentional, be smart. And you and I could do that. We, we all could do that. And we wouldn't throw, you know, the fastball like he does or even close to it. So it's, I don't know, man. It's like the eighth one of the world, I feel like. You just, he's one of those guys that I don't, and at the risk of sounding like a homer, I just watch him every five days like I did to Grom when I covered the Mets. And you just like, you're like, dude, if this guy stays healthy, like how is he not going to be one of the greatest to ever do it? Because he's already like you mentioned it, TJ, his strikeout rate. Oh, and it's probably gone up since he struck out 12 in Toronto. But when I wrote that story, he had a he had a 42 percent strikeout rate, strikeout rate of over 40 percent. I think it was 42 four. That was six percent higher than second place Shohei Otani. Like there is nobody even close to Spencer and it's, I, yeah, I, you just look at him and you're like, man, if he stays healthy, how is he not going to win like three Cy Youngs? It's too bad. We're not going to see Bryce Miller and Strider now because Miller is supposed to start in the series for the Mariners and he's only made three starts and, and obviously there's still a long way to go with him, but people have compared the stuff and the fastball that Miller's displayed so far a lot to Strider because he throws this high rising fastball that people swing underneath and it's really heavy. Yeah. And to see Strider do what he, I mean, that's the extreme, right? To what you were just talking about, to see how Strider's done it and he doesn't have to use a third pitch. I mean, it's pretty otherworldly. It's yeah. The, the, and the thing with Strider too, is like, I'll talk to guys and it's like, as a hitter, like, I guess the only way people say like, I guess the only way is like, if you get it down, like if he's missing mm -hmm. a, if he's missing high and like not spotting real well, but like you look at some of these strikeouts he has and like 
he has a fair amount of looking strikeouts for like a, you know, backwards K's for like a, uh, you know, swing and miss guy. And I think that's just because he dots the fastball so well at the top of the zone. So it's like, I know like Austin Riley told me, he's like, he's never, he's never faced him obviously and not even in spring training, but he was like, I'm sitting off speed. And like Austin was like smiling when he said that. And it's like, I guess that's what you got to do because like, you got to hope he's not hitting, you know, with his fastball, but he attacks so much and he knows his stuff is so good. And he's so confident that he just goes right after guys, with the fastball, like he is not a nibbler. Like sometimes he'll walk a few guys and he's still young and he still works out the kinks with things. But I guess like, yeah, guys say like the only way to do it. Some guys say it looks like ping pong balls. Cause like you think it's going to be there and it's just like, it's like an optical illusion. It's like a magic trick. Like you can't, you swing and it's not there. And it's like, you're kind of hitting something that like, it just looks like a BB as it's coming by. Like it kind of like, it it doesn't make sense. Like, I know that's what Sam Hilliard told me. Like one of his buddies on like another team was like, his fastball doesn't make sense. And like, I think guys just think it's like, you kind of have to like get him down. Like you have to hope he's missing a little bit so that he throws a mistake somewhere during the at bat. I don't, I don't know because the stuff is like, it's almost unhittable, but obviously, you know, you got to stay healthy and, uh, who knows how it all ends, but yeah, it's, you're, we're, we're, we're going to see a lot more guys like, like that too, like Strider and Miller and others, because guys know that's like the way they're going to get paid nowadays. Well, Spencer's going to have a pretty big load to carry now though, in the Braves rotation, because two other guys that were a big part of the Braves 101 win team last year, Max Fried and Kyle Wright are both on the shelf. And, you know, outside of outside of them, the replacements have been okay. But as we were noting a little bit before, I mean, Bryce Elders, uh, who was picked in the same draft as Strider the round after, slid into the rotation a little bit, But is and he's pitched well, but he's it seems like he's going to regress a little bit. Do you think that rotation outside of Strider, which, you know, the Mariners will see a little bit of, uh, I don't, I, I'm not exactly sure, I, I didn't write down who the three um, that the Braves are going to line up against him. But outside of that, I mean, do you, do you think this is a rotation that, that can stand up outside of Spencer Strider without the likes of those two on the shelf? Yeah, yeah. And, like, even if I didn't, I would think it could just because the lineup is so good. Like, that they're going to have a chance to win most nights. But, look, like, Charlie Morton's having his best start in a few years. He had really slow starts the last two seasons he's looked a lot better he kind of ages like a fine wine like to me the ball looks like it's still coming out well like i you know who knows if he's ever gonna have the stuff of like 2017 2018 charlie but like dude for 39 years old guy pushing 40 like he's throwing the ball really really well um and yeah like he's he's been awesome bryce elder Bryce is an interesting case because i know you say what a lot of people say like they look at the savant pages i'm sure you did and they see a lot of blue, right? And they see like, okay, the regression monster's kind of coming. It, I don't really, like when I see Bryce, like I see like, okay, I see the, to me, what stands out is kind of the hard hit rate is around, you know, it's 48.5%. That's not good. Uh, but what, sometimes it looks like you need to, the quality of contact matters in a way, right? Like 96 miles an, mile an hour, Balls can look different, you know, depending on where they're hit, what they are, what pitch they come on, whatever it might be. To me, I don't think Bryce Elder's gotten hit super hard in a lot of his starts. So what I kind of looked at, because I was going over this a few weeks ago and writing a story, the ground ball rate, though, is almost 57%. So 
I guess you can hit them hard, but if you're hitting them on the ground, the Braves tend to play really good defense. They've got a great infield. Like that's usually going to work out for you. Um, and the fly ball rates under 20% and the line drives are, you know, almost 22. So like, I don't know, like I, he's still getting enough ground balls for me. Like, so until he does, until he has a couple bad starts, you know, I, I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt, which is interesting, but I do think they have enough pieces in terms of like, look, Strider's going to have to carry the load. like you said, Charlie's going to have to be good. Bryce too, but they're going to need somebody else. They've done two bullpen games in the last four games. Um, and they've lost both of them. They had a chance to win both if things go a little differently. Um, but eventually that's not sustainable. Like I think they've been able to do it because of the off days that they've had kind of clumped together in this little stretch, but they're going to need Jared Schuster or Dylan Dodd or Michael Soroka eventually, or, um, Alan Winans or anybody. They're just going to need some consistency from somebody. But as you guys know, you guys follow the game. You can't, uh, you can't pull the Tampa Bay Rays stuff anymore. If you option a guy, he's got to be down for 15 days. So like, that's another consideration is whoever it's going to be, you know, you hope he sticks. You know, I was hoping to ask you about this too, because we've talked a decent length here about this upcoming series this weekend. And I think it's going to be a really fun one. And the Braves are obviously right. a prominent team in the game, but looking back to last year's series, right? You were there, you saw that series, especially that finale, which was maybe the game of the year. I mean, yeah. Did you see a crazier game last year than that Sunday game in Seattle where the Braves score five and then the Mariners walk it off on a walk-off homer after a game-tying homer? No, that was – I think that was my – and sorry to the Braves for saying – that was just the most exciting game last season. Like, that was the best game. Like, dude, the fact that it was – and it was the bottom of the lineup, too, when the Braves came back against the Mariners' best relievers. It was Michael Harris and then Robbie Grossman <laughs> – Robbie Grossman hit the go-ahead shot, and then Kenley comes out. So, and you guys know we're like the the kind of the angles of the Safeco press box and like just w- kind of what it's like looking. So basically, you're kind of like I feel like there you're more field level than a lot of places. Like it, it's a great view, and I just remember, dude, that Julio home run. That was like to me that looked like the hardest ball I've ever seen hit live. Like that looked like it just got out in a hurry. Like you heard the crack of the bat, and it was like the game was over. Like it wasn't even like the, it, there were like one second. It got out in like a second or so it felt like. And I just remember that series being so fun because like in baseball, it's not like the NFL or it's not like the NBA. Like if you cover like, you know, the Warriors in the NBA or something like chances are the crowds are going to be pretty good most places or like NFL, like only 16 games. Crowds are going to be pretty decent. Baseball, man, like you go to Oakland and to like Cincinnati <laughs> and to like places like honestly that have good fan bases, but where their teams haven't given them, you know, the front office haven't given them anything to cheer for. Um, Seattle was like, that atmosphere was crazy. And I think that last game, the roof was closed because of the, you know, it was rainy that day and there was some wildfire stuff like smoke. And so the roof was closed and it was insane. Like I don't, other than like, Okay, other than San Diego in the home in their home opener in April and then Philly in the postseason, I didn't I don't think I heard a louder environment than than Safeco that day that Julio hit the home run, you know, the walk off like they came back and he hit the walk off. It was it was just insane. It was like I was like one, I was like, okay, the Mariners are back. But like two, and they're going to the postseason. 
but like I was, it was the most exciting game of the year for me. I think. I really do think that win from the Mariners' perspective was like it was the defining win of yeah. They're like this is a this is a postseason team. I mean they they did scuffle a little bit like the couple of weeks after that, but that win it was like it was pretty certain like the resilience was was absolutely there. It I I can't think of a of a series that has been more memorable that I've watched in. Pfft, 10 years, you know, <laughs> growing up watching Mariners baseball, there wasn't, wasn't that much of it. There, there aren't regular season series like that. So that's, I think that's also what made it so special. Yeah. And all three were good games, like had, you know, potential turning points, even if none of the endings were like that finale, but had potential turning points. And like, it, it almost felt like, I think the hardest thing in baseball is like, if you're Julio Rodriguez or like, I don't know, Cal Raleigh, whoever, and you like see two absolute bombs get hit off you like that. And you're like, oh, nice. We were just going to like take a series from the Braves. And now we just kind of like, you know, I just saw two balls get hit into the second deck. Like, that's pretty sweet. Like, I think it's hard in baseball where you're not continually like basketball. You keep running up. I, I would think it's hard to mentally just like regroup and just be like, because I remember the energy in the building was just shot after that. Like, it was just like, it was like, oh, man, like, but for some reason, it was like, man, like, they just breathe life right back into it so quickly. And it was like, I just remember being super impressed because I was like, man, it just felt like one of those games like, wow, the Braves just like punched these guys in the gut and like they're not getting up like it's it's over like and Kenley just comes in and like they just lit him up like it was like it was like they punched right back. I just remember it was just so impressive. And I remember. I yeah that was that was the most that was one of the most fun series of the year for sure like I can't really I'll say it's usually not like that on the road like that is not you know I've seen DC when it's pretty loud Philly when it's loud obviously that that was up there with like the best series I've ever covered just because of that like all three were good games two good teams two contenders and I can't remember seeing like a better finale than that although, although when I did cover the Mets I covered the Edwin Diaz uh, game where they they gave up a nine run lead in the ninth <laughs> inning in DC, and dude, you're like rewriting your story, and you just hear like, <sighs> like like the crowd like every three second, like you're just like it's going so fast and like it's erupting every minute because things are happening, and I think uh, I think Paul Seawald actually started that demise, and then they had to bring in Edwin <laughs> Diaz. And then Edwin Diaz just got lit up, and then eventually Kurt Suzuki hit like a walk-off three-run bomb, and the Mets gave up like a nine-run lead. And the, so I've seen some pretty crazy ones because I covered the Mets for a couple of years, but that finish was as exciting as any of I've seen. The one, you know, the one against the Mariners with the who, and I, I swear to God, like that Julio home run. It's like you you would get whiplash if you like snapped your neck that fast to like try to see where the ball went, just because it's like you just like you look at it, and it already it already went to like Edgar's man. Like it was like, it was like already on its way, like probably served at the table. It was just like, it was one of the best home runs I've ever seen. It was just like the scorched. Like it could not, I think it registered at like one sixteen seven or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's no mm-hmm. shot. Like it had to have been one twenty. Like I, that's, that's an understatement. To that point, you were talking about some of those Mariners being unfazed after coughing up the lead. I don't know if you ever saw Julio's reaction that the TV broadcast caught after that. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. So obviously they give up that lead. You would think everybody's going to be dejected. 
Julio's jogging off the field as he's ready to come up in the ninth inning. Dude's smiling, like not in a way like he thinks it's funny they coughed up a lead. It was like, yeah, I'm not really worried. I've, I've kind of got this. And he comes up in the ninth inning and hits that absolute missile of a home run. That at bat, more than any he had last year, was the one that always stood out to me. Not just because of how hard he hit it, but the way he reacted running off the field too, that he was just totally unfazed. It was pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think fans like to see players be all like wound tight and be like, all right, we got to take accountability and like da-da-da and like we've been. Mm-hmm. I just think like, hey, man, there's a lot of like, yeah, eventually sometimes you got to like kind of take accountability and like be serious about things. But I think there's a lot of benefit to having a guy like Julio in your clubhouse, like guys like that who are pretty carefree and like they they view, you know, they just have fun. Like, and it's just like, it keeps it loose. And I think you need that over 162 games. Like that, that sets the tone for guys not panicking. Last thing here, Justin, before we wrap up, just want to make sure are you going to be in Seattle for the all-star game? No. So actually I'm getting the all-star break off. So unfortunately I like Seattle, but I think the Braves are in like Tampa, the series before. So, and they usually have a lot of all-stars. So our, our first, so our Braves features guy or our sports features guy is going to go do that uh, at the all-star break. He used to, he was the former Braves guy before, you know, before I got the job when he moved into the features role. So he's going to do that. I love Seattle though. I mean, I, I, I wish they were playing like, like if they were playing in San Francisco right before the all-star break, I might've considered going, but like, that's my, you know, your only time off is like a baseball beat guy. And the, you know, I, I want to cover an all-star game someday, but this year I was going to have to do, it starts like the activities start like Monday and stuff in terms of like talking to the players like Monday afternoon. And it was going to be tough to get from like St. Pete all the way to Seattle um, and not have a flight be delayed, you know, and have little room for air. So unfortunately I, I will not be there. That is unfortunate. We're going to, we'll miss you though. We'll, we'll enjoy it for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, I saw, so Lyle's been doing some IG reels and like, so I, I need I need a couple more of those guys around the league. I need yeah, I, we saw Taylor Trammell. I think we've seen I'm trying to think of who else you did, but we need we I'm I'm looking for the all-star game content from you guys. Listen, if if they give us a credential for it, we're there. Like say less. Like I'm I, all for it. Yeah. Uh, I would I, if I were you, I would apply. It can't hurt. I mean, I, I'll definitely apply. I'll just keep my fingers crossed that they look at, oh, Mariner's podcast. Sure. Check them right off. Hey, hometown podcast, man. You, exactly. you gotta I was going to say, I just, if they, yeah, I say consult with the, with the hometown PR and they give the thumbs up. I mean, we're not going to be the only content people there is like what mm-hmm. I say. So it's like, they can't, also, why like, can't we? Also, like I enjoy watching those videos and stuff. Like I, it grows the game. Like that, that's what I've always said Mm -hmm. about stuff like that is like, there's so much room for different things in in media. And like, I don't know, like, I'm not a big, like gate, I'm not big on gatekeeping. And I just think like, Mm -hmm. I just think there's baseball should be doing what you're doing. Like we should be, they should be growing the game in these ways with different kind of like how the players association did the videos from the WBC and stuff of like different players. Like I thought that was sweet, man. Like people just want to like, sometimes people don't want to read a story for 15 minutes or watch a video for 10 like what sometimes i just want like a little thing where they can have like fun doing it and it can be like mindless for them to watch and they don't have to like put any effort into it and so like i don't know i just think like anything that grows the game is a good thing because as we're seeing like when there are these rule changes with the pitch clock and stuff like it can be crisp and it can be fun and it, you you can 
perfectly or accurately show off the talent on the field. Well, Justin, we go ahead, Lyle. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Like our, our kind of goal with it is just try to get some personality out of these players. And obviously like we think all the writers like you or like all the Seattle beat writers do a great job, but we're just trying to give people a little bit of a different side to it, I guess. Just, you know, try to break a smile with some guys. We're not asking for like, like hours of their time and, you know, just trying to bring something unique, I guess. Yeah, it's fun. It's light. And guys like doing that more than they like talking for stories sometimes, you know, or standing in front of a camera doing a, you know, local, you know, local TV hit like they. Yeah, trust me, guys love doing that stuff. I see like the different I saw one. There are a couple guys who do it on TikTok and like they. Yeah, you should see it's like they'll, you know, it's like players like they'll ask players about their gloves or something like that. It's like mm-hmm. it's like, oh, like, where'd you customize this? Take us through. And it's like they're so happy to speak about that stuff. Happier than they are to speak about like an adjustment to hitting like curveballs or something, you know. How are you going to break out of this slump? How are you going to break out of this slump? No, I, I, yeah, I and I, I think about it and it's hilarious to me because I'm like, oh, yeah, if somebody was like consistently asking me about that, I would love like I, I think it's light. I think it's fun. I say keep doing it. I just want to see all time good guy. Paul Seawall on the close. We're going to try. I think he's on the list. Yeah. Do it. Do it. I can't wait. I think relievers are always the best because, you know, they they essentially fuck around most of the game anyway until it's a bit their time to pitch. So they're usually always, for the most part, depending on, depending on the guy, but for the most part, in a, in a somewhat good mood uh, most of the time. Well, Justin, yeah. we appreciate you carving some time out of your, your busy schedule. You obviously have a beat to cover, but we appreciate you. We could, we could, we could have gone for like two, three hours if we actually wanted to, but it's always good to, to catch up on some <laughs> ASU stuff and some baseball stuff as well. You, you cover it with the best of them, so we appreciate you taking some time. No, thanks, guys. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was good to catch up with you guys. Great interview with Justin Toscano. We certainly loved having him on. Okay, TJ, let's go down on the farm here. Who have you had your eyes on this past week? We're going to have our first repeat customer of the season. Yes, yes, yes. We've already touched on Emerson. We touched on him after his first start, but he just had one of the best starts he's had in his minor league career, a career high, 10 strikeouts this past weekend, five and two thirds innings, 10 strikeouts, just two walks, four hits. And Lyle, he's quietly had a pretty good season so far down in Arkansas. And if they need him, I mean, he could absolutely pitch for the Mariners this season. He's had two pretty crummy starts in two very small samples. He allowed nine earned runs on three innings on 420. Uh, hopefully nothing else was affecting him on that day. Um, and then two earned runs in two-thirds of an inning back on the 2nd of May. Outside of that, he's thrown 24 and two-thirds innings, and he's allowed three earned runs. It's pretty. That's pretty good run prevention right there. And the strikeout stuff has taken up. The control has been not fantastic for Emerson. He's been hovering, I think, around, uh, he's walking about three per nine, I think, which is not great, but something that can always be harnessed in. And he got some good distribution on his strikeouts this week, too. I mean, he got two six strikeouts on his fastball, and then he mixed in two strikeouts a piece on his slider, and then two on his changeup as well, which was really nice to see that he had all three of his pitches working in his one thing we know, right? You get your fastball working and the Mariners will look at you and be like, all right, boom, you're you're a major leaguer if you have a good fastball. 
he had a big arsenal of pitches when he was drafted with a hard fastball. So if he can start to work some of that back, you're looking at a guy that could still live up to the hype. If the Mariners needed him this year, do you think he'd be out of the bullpen? He'd be a starter? Or do you think either? They needed him to, if they absolutely needed him to start, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't I see why not. That. I mean, it, it, like him or Dollard, I guess you kind of shrug your shoulders on a tiny bit more upside versus control, or you maybe just throw Tommy Malone, I guess. It it really depends. It'd probably depend on the team in the scenario. He's been off to a great start, which is all you can hope for. Another guy that's been off to a great start, the guy I'm going to highlight this week, after spending some time in Tacoma, got to sit back and watch a couple of games. I had one big takeaway. I think the next position player to get the call-up from the minor leagues is going to be Jake Shiner. I know Mike Ford's going off. I think it's going to be Jake Shiner. This guy hit three home runs this past week in the Reno series. He has 12 on the year. That's tied for third in all of minor league baseball. He's got a 977 OPS. He's got a 129 WRC plus. So he's hitting 29% above league average right now in AAA. He's walking nearly 15% of the time. He's striking out under 20% of the time. The difference between him and Mike Ford is you know who Mike Ford is as a big leaguer at this point. He just hasn't ever really clicked outside a little bit of a 2019 stint, but otherwise he's just kind of a journeyman. Jake Shiner's 27. He can play both corner infield spots, can play some outfield, and he is just absolutely tearing the cover off the ball right now. That was my big takeaway. Jake Shiner's the guy I'm highlighting. And it's not like he's going to call up, come up and take Colton Wong's jog. I mean, it's, it's, no. not, it's not that level, but your injury replacement, absolutely. It, it could happen. The infield depth is... Uh, is that thin? There's if there's a guy who goes down on the infield, you're right, he's up because Dylan Moore is not like still hasn't gone out on a rehab assignment yet. So you're right, that that is him. And you know, put into some context, AAA numbers can be a tiny bit inflated, but you're still slugging the ball that much. Yeah, it's still still pretty good. Agreed, and with some versatility too. The thing about Ford is he's just a he's basically a DH. You can play him at first if you have to. You can actually stick Shiner at some different spots. So keep some tabs on him because, again, he's not going to come up and replace anybody, but he could be a bench bat at some point and make some impact as a bench bat, especially with a little bit of pop. That's something we'll have to keep an eye on uh, as this summer goes along. We never know what happens uh, with all these injuries, so keep an eye on Jake Shiner uh, as we roll along. Okay, Lyle, let's get to our Russell Wilson Umpire of the Week. Would you like to bring this gentleman in? I would. Congratulations to Alfonso Marquez. He was behind the plate for the Diamondbacks-Giants game on May the 12th. Christian Walker of the Diamondbacks is standing in the dugout. His teammate Nick Ahmed draws a walk, so there was a called ball. Pitch off the zone. Naturally, as his teammate, Christian Walker starts clapping. He says, like, boy, Nick, like, good approach, way to work the count. You're on at first base. He is simply clapping. Well, Alfonso Marquez didn't like that. He turned right around and he threw Christian Walker right out of the ball game, right out. <laughs> and Walker's standing there. He's got both his hands in the air. Then they go to his head, like both hands on his head. He's like, what in the world did I do? You know, Christian, we're sitting here wondering the exact same thing. Congratulations, Alfonso Marquez. There are a lot of things I've never, uh, I've seen a lot of things in baseball. 
I don't think I've quite seen that. I mean, that's honestly impressive. Even if it was a sarcastic clap, a bit of a sarcastic compliment. I mean, he is still literally clapping that the umpire got a call right twice in a row. It was two straight swings. He's like, good job. I don't know how that deserves an ejection. So good job, Alfonso Marquez. You you did it this time. It had it it really caught as soon as I, it, you know it's making the podcast. You know it's making our episode this week when Lyle and I see it for the first time, send it to each other instantly. It's like, yep, it's done. We've got ours this week. It's it, like it when it answers itself. It's beautiful. See, maybe you as fans sit there and think to yourselves, say, do they really find an umpire every week? How hard do they have to look for this stuff? Not very hard. I mean, it's right in our face every week. Guys are, these umpires, their baseball savant page is usually in the 90th to 100th percentile in terms of missed calls. The funny thing is, Lyle, you mentioned that we have to find them. No, they find us. It's pretty easy. Yes, they do. And you know what? They're going to keep finding us. I don't think we're ever going to struggle to find these things. I really don't. So congratulations, Alfonso Marquez. The Russell Wilson requirement you met is you did not let a play develop. You were pretty insufferable to throw Walker out of the game. So the award's yours this week. With that, let's get into Speak Your Mind here. Speak Your Mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. What are you thinking about this week? Well, after a pretty underwhelming Game 7 on Saturday between the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers, I would just like to give a shout-out, Lyle, to the process. Let's give a round of applause for the process. Yep, good job, guys. Good job, Philadelphia. The process, Lyle, which is now about a decade old exactly, just about, has resulted in six playoff appearances, Five Eastern Conference semifinals, three Game 7 losses, and not a trip past the second round. Congratulations, Philadelphia. The process is mediocre. I don't have much more to add to that. They just can't ever get out of the Eastern Conference. Even though you had the MVP of the league this year, they still could not get out of the East. They couldn't even get to the the Eastern Conference Finals. No. And yeah, Joel Embiid and James Harden completely folded on Sunday. It, they, Joel Embiid did not look like an MVP on Sunday. You know who looked like an MVP on Sunday in Game 7? Jason Tatum on the other side. That's who it looked like. Oh, by the way, who the Sixers had a chance to draft and instead drafted a guy who could not shoot a basketball. That, that, that was a decision that came here. The Sixers, for four years in a row, picked in the top three and got one player who still remains on their roster. One. Who was who was Joel Embiid, the MVP. They chose Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, they chose over Jimmy Butler when Butler was a free agent after the 2019-2019 uh, season. And Jimmy Butler's Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. And the Sixers, who he left, have not have not reached where Jimmy is right now in this current iteration. Incredible. Incredible stuff. Well, there's always next year, but will it be a different result? 
I think we have our doubts. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, you didn't like tease any sort of prediction from Adam Silver's crystal ball about this, this predictable game seven ending last week. Ooh, maybe they're trying like to set up a Lakers Celtics final. That that's my best guess. That'll be a ratings monster, but I think we're going to end up getting nuggets Celtics instead. Probably. You're probably right. Well, we'll circle back to it in a couple weeks here. Okay. What's on my mind this week? I would like to personally say thank you to the fan base of the Houston Astros. Now, why do I say that? If you go to our TikTok channel, which this video is on all our social media channels, but on um, we did a round of fan interviews, which we've been doing a lot this year. We asked people what their least favorite team in baseball is, naturally. A lot of Mariners fans said the Astros. They said they're cocky. They think they're cheaters. You know, all the usual stuff. Well, Astros fans didn't seem to love that because if you go look at our replies, we have 229 replies to this TikTok. Almost all of them are Astros fans who have come across this video and now have taken the need to hop into the replies and just fire off comments, which, by the way, helps our engagement. So. I just wanted to say thank you. I have one more thing after this, but I'll let you get a quick word in. It's just funny. It is funny. I, I didn't think you could possibly get so rent-free with less than a minute-long video, but you somehow managed it. So to truly show how thankful I am, I, I didn't tell you what I'd say for Speak Your Mind, but I've written a little poem for Astros fans to read here on the podcast for speak your mind. And and now I can't take credit of origin for this poem idea. I mean, this poem itself is mine. Where I got the idea is shout out Jerry O'Connell, who has possibly done this on a couple of podcasts. I think these are hilarious. TJ's whatever about them. But I wrote one for myself here to read to Astros fans. It's short, but it's still a few lines. And I, and I thought I'd just read it to everybody here. So to the fans of the Houston Astros... Houston, 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 you constantly dive into comment sections trying to bring the fury and the pain, but Houston, 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 all this shows is that you are clearly not ready to reign. Houston, Houston, wow. Houston, you really love to quote tweet and pay for Twitter blue. Houston, 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 you must not have better things to do. Houston, Houston, <laughs> Houston. Always bringing up the sweep, Jordan Alvarez. And yes, no one's denying it. Your team is really good at this game. Houston, Houston, Houston. You all seem to care more about screaming at other fan bases and starting social media uprisings to simply try and defend your name. Houston, Houston, Houston. All of you filled up with so much insecurity and hate. But Houston, Houston, Houston. I'm sorry to break you the news. The world will never stop bringing up trash can gate thank you astros fans and that is my personal thank you to the city of houston so let's clap it up for astros fans <laughs> that was great <laughs> i didn't know you I, had that in you whew, i know call me a natural poet you must have been great at ap lit no oh, no i was i don't even think i took ap lit i didn't bother <laughs> that was a joke. yeah oh yeah Forget me taking an AP class. I mean, as somebody who just despised school, like, no way. But, hey, but, 
when I care about something, I'll put some thought and effort into it, just like I did this one. So shout out the city of Houston. In summer, we do really appreciate the Houston Astros fan base boosting up a Mariners TikTok account. I mean, thank you. Probably not your intention at all, but it is doing nothing but bringing eyeballs on us, which is fantastic. Thank you so much, Astros fans. I hope you all get a trash can for Christmas. Feel free to do it on every video. Seriously, if you guys want to leave 200 hate comments on every video, hey, it boosts engagement. I'm not going to tell you no. So again, that's just a personal thank you for me to Astros fans and really the entire city of Houston. I thought that'd be a nice way to cap off this show. But with that, that just about wraps up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know, if you want to listen to the full podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. We've got the full video podcast on YouTube with our brand new background. If you want to follow us on social media and see all these TikToks that Astros fans love to leave replies to, you can do so on TikTok. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube Shorts at Marine Layer Pod. And one final time, leave us voicemails too, guys. We want your voicemails. We want to hear from you guys. We want to put your voices on the show. So send us voicemails. For TJ Matthewson, this is Lyle Goldstein. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.